Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I have been entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You don't get to pick and choose the kind of things you believe and what you want to believe. We don't get to pick and choose the kind of church that we want to be or the kind of things that we want to have at our church as an emphasis. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to salvation. As Christians, everything we do is founded in and about God's Word. It is our guide, our instructions for life. We are to boldly share the gospel so that others may come to know Christ and be saved. With more on why God's Word is our foundation for this and for every command we're to carry out, out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for, well, that you've inspired it, that it is the milk and meat by which we grow, that it is the lamp, the light by which we see and walk, that it never returns back void, and that your inspired word completes us. All that we need is you and understanding the truth that stands behind your word. We don't have a desire to try to find out what we believe about the Bible. We want to know what you say, what you mean when you say it. As we approach your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul wrote the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, uh, shortly before he died. He was released by Nero. And in the time between Paul's release and rearrest, Rome burned down. Now, historians differ about whether or how involved Nero was. What we do know about Nero is he was happy it burned because he was a builder. And when it burned, he wanted to rebuild it. He let the fire burn. He did not do all he could do to stop it from burning. And it's possible that he actually set it on fire so that he could rebuild. Immediately, The people in Rome began to hear that he didn't do everything that he could do. It was even rumored that he'd gone out and set fires in other places. And uh, in order to gain a scapegoat, he began to blame Christians. That started the great persecution of 10 Roman emperors over 350 years. Six million Christians were killed during that time. Nero himself would dip Christians in oil, hang them up in his garden, light them on fire, and ride his chariot through them while they were lighting up his fire. Uh, Many Christians were thrown into the arena in Rome. Many Christians were thrown into amphitheaters throughout the known Roman uh, world at that time because they did not swear allegiance to Caesar. They wanted, through paganism and the worship of Caesar, they wanted people to say, Caesar is Lord. You would throw a bit of ashes or whatever into a fire saying Caesar is Lord, and that was your commitment. Well, Christians said, there is no Lord but Jesus, and we'll only serve him. And so it brought this clash, and when Nero began to say, you know, it's the Christians that burned the city down, then the Romans turned on them, and it turned ugly. And it is believed that that is why Paul was re-arrested. And when Paul was arrested the second time, the first time he was thrown under house arrest, the second time he was thrown into a dungeon. 
He was then led outside of the city to a street and he was beheaded by Nero after Rome burned. So that's the setting for this book. This is the last book that he wrote. It's called The Dying Letter because it's the last one he wrote. He knew the climate that was out there. And what he says in this letter is extremely passionate. He's writing to Timothy, who's a young guy who is, is, is a little timid and is having trouble enduring and being courageous and strong. But he knows that if you need anything, you need to be courageous and strong. And so no less than 25 times in this book does he encourage Timothy to be strong, to stand fast, to stand firm, to be strong 25 times in these four chapters. That's where we start in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He encourages him to be strong in the Lord, specifically in the grace of Christ, of the Messiah. In Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God and eventually stand. We are to be strong in him because we have a very real enemy and we struggle and wrestle and battle against that enemy. And he is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Being strong in the grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is God wanting to bless you in what you have been called to do, wanting to work in your life when you don't deserve it. How many times do we say to God, I, I, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve it. If we were going to receive anything from him that was based upon our deserving, it wouldn't be good. It would be bad. If you ever say to God, God, I want what I deserve. Will you warn me first so I can get as far away from you as possible? So when you get what you deserve, I'm not anywhere near. We want that unmerited favor of God. The Lord wants to bless us. He wants to move in your life. The enemy would love to whisper in your ear. Oh, you've you've blown it. You've sinned. You haven't done what's right. God can't use you. Be strong in the grace of the Messiah, Jesus. That's what he says here. Be strong in it, knowing that God's called you. And when you step out in faith, the moment you ask for your sins to be forgiven, they are forgiven. And be strong in that grace of Christ Jesus. Boy, isn't that a good encouragement? That's a great way for a chapter to start. And then it says in verse two, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Be strong in the grace and be strong in the things that you've heard from me. That is that Timothy didn't have the right to choose what he was going to teach. Timothy had to be strong in what he had received from Paul. Paul had received and been entrusted with the gospel. Paul had passed that on to Timothy. Timothy was entrusted with the gospel. That's where we ended in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that he was entrusted with the gospel. And now he's got to carry that on. Be strong in what you've learned from me. I have been entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You don't get to pick and choose the kind of things you believe and what you want to believe. We don't get to pick and choose the kind of church that we want to be or the kind of things that we want to have at our church as an emphasis. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to salvation. We've been entrusted with his word. And so we take time to go into his word. 
And it's interesting because churches today look down on us. No, Calvary Chapel, those guys, they just teach the Bible. To them, you know, they want philosophy. They want the new thought. They want the new ideas. And do you really believe that Jesus died upon the cross? And, and can you really trust everything that's said in the Bible? Or, or are there some things that we've got to kind of look at and decide and determine? And the church today is moving in that direction. The, the whole emergent movement, God's word has been given to us. We have been entrusted to it and we need to be strong in it boldly teaching it because I'll tell you what their philosophies are vain their philosophies will change those philosophies that are so hip with the little glasses they wear and the little tattoos on their wrists as they preach and the the hippest latest newest stuff that's out there will not be being preached in 10 years it will be new philosophies and new ideas because the word of God remains the same but men's philosophies change you think you're going to suddenly stumble upon something that will be more powerful than the Word of God? Some presentation by some man, some idea, some thought, some philosophy that man's going to preach that's going to impact your life in a more dynamic way than His Word? Let them look down on the Word of God if they want to, but you and I know it is the richest thing out there, that there is nothing that can replace it. And we will be strong in what we have heard. That's why Paul said in Galatians 1, if anybody comes to you teaching anything else than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. He goes on to say, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The importance of what we do is not only in presenting God's word, but it's raising up men who know how to teach raising up young men, raising up older men who are elders among us, raising up young men who are handed the word of God and encouraged to teach the truth of God's word. And I love that. I love guys that we have seen developed here, young men that we've seen developed here who know how to present the word of God and stay true to God's word. We're always looking for those that God's raising up and gifted and filled with the spirit that we might be able to entrust them with the word of God. It goes on to say in verse three, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Timothy is probably a little bit reluctant. He needs to be told, be strong in these things and endure hardship. When we have the message of the gospel as our call and the gospel, the short version of the gospel, God became man lived a life as an example for us, died upon the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, proving the power of his life and entrusted us with a call. And that call is the gospel. That, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation. And there are people all around us that are lost, dying, perishing. There are people around us that if we are involved in the battle, their destinies are going to be different. We are not of those who believe that people will get saved whether or not we are in the battle. We are not of those who believe that there are some that are chosen and some who aren't. You can't change that destiny. We believe that God reaches out to a lost, lonely world that is on their way to the broad gate, which is going to lead them to destruction. And few there are that enter into the narrow gate. But we go out and try to rescue as many as we can. And it is a very real battle. You're wrestling against Satan. And when you get involved in the fight, 
When you say, I'm going to begin to lay a foundation of prayer for the people I work with, for my family, for my children, I'm going to lay a foundation of prayer and I'm going to reach out and bring the message of the gospel to them at any opportunity I get, the enemy will attack you. You are now in a battle. And if you are in a battle, then you're going to suffer hardship. Soldiers. Some of you guys here are soldiers. You've come back from Afghanistan or Pakistan or maybe some other places. When you guys were over in Afghanistan or Pakistan, you were carrying that pack. Did you ever talk to the guy that was, you know, your direct, whoever was directly over you? Did you ever say, my pack's heavy? <laughs> I, you don't know what, you know, what's, can you get somebody else to carry it? This, this, this ground's too hard to sleep on. Can we find another place to sleep? When you go to war, you expect there to be hardships. It's not about comfort. When you go into a recruiting office, they don't tell you, listen, if you become a soldier, we got comfort. You wouldn't believe you're going to be so comfortable. You're going to sleep in. You're going to, everybody's going to be really nice to you. Don't do that at all, do they? They say, listen, we're going to get you up at the break of day. We're going to make you run 10 miles. And we're going to make you crawl under, you know, obstacle courses. And, and we're going to make you work hard. And we're going to make you into a man. And there's something about men, I don't know what it is, that we go, yeah, <laughs> I like that. I want that. Until we're there. <laughs> Someone's screaming in our face and waking up at five in the morning. Then we're trying to figure out how we can get out of there. What was I thinking about that? But the army knows, or whatever it is, they know that they've got to toughen up the recruits that they have because they're going to be in battle. When you're in battle, you're going to suffer hardships. So if we're in a battle, we're going to suffer hardships. So Paul is saying to Timothy, suffer the hardships like a good soldier. Not like just a soldier, but like a good soldier. Difficulties are going to come. The enemy's going to attack you. He's going to try to get you off your guard. He's going to try to get you not continuing to, to fight for the message of the gospel. He's going to try to get you to stop praying, stop bringing the message, stop moving by the Spirit, stop being led by the Spirit, and he's going to do everything he can to stop you. And you're going to endure hardships. He says, you therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It doesn't say soldiers don't entangle themselves. It says no one involved in warfare. The Roman soldiers, they enlisted when they were 19 or 20 years old. The Roman army was the first army to have full-time soldiers, which made their army a much better prepared army because other armies, even the Greek armies that went before them, these guys would leave whatever they did. They would go become part of the army. They would have some training, but it wasn't full-time. These guys were trained and they gave themselves to the army. They were not even supposed to be married. If you became part of the army, you wanted the adventure that the Roman army was going to give you, then you were there for 25 years, you enlisted for 25 years, and for those 25 years, you weren't supposed to be married. The average lifespan of a Roman soldier in their day was 45 years old. They enlisted at 20 for 25 years and died by 45. They gave their entire life for being a soldier. But when it came to war, they were there in that moment. You, you've got to be in the midst of war. You don't entangle yourself in the things of the world when you're in the middle of battle. 
When someone is trying to kill you and you're trying to kill them or you're trying to take a piece of land, you're not involved in the things of the world. If you are, you're vulnerable. You're in trouble. We are less effective when we allow the world around us to entangle us from the call. It might not even be something that's sin. It's just something that slows you down. I think looking at this verse, it's saying to us, live simple lives. Live with the least amount of stuff that you can because stuff gets in the way of being effective for Christ. The Olympics are going on now. You guys watching them? We're taping them every day and then we're trying to fast forward through them at night. And uh, some of the races have been phenomenal, haven't they? Seen a lot of the Americans winning is awesome. What if we were watching those races and this last week, one of the girls came out with a fur coat on. They've got like their little outfits on, you know, so the Americans have those little tight, you know, little uniforms on that they've got. But what if they came out in a, just a fur coat lined up to run the race? You would go, isn't that against the rules to have a fur coat, to run with a fur coat? No, it's perfectly legal. You can go out and run with a fur coat if you want to, but no one does. Why? They want to win. In essence, as Christians, we're running around with fur coats on. We got fur coats on, we got TVs on our shoulders, we got all of our stuff, and we're going, oh no, I'm going to run for Jesus. Now I'm in the middle of the war, man, I got all my stuff around me in the middle of this battle. I don't know what the Lord would speak to you about now, whatever it might be, or however you may be able to lean out your life some to be an effective, good soldier. But I think the Lord would speak to all of us here, myself included. I know I found some conviction as I was studying this, really asking, am I allowing the things of this world to kind of close in and distract me again from the call that we have to make a difference in the lives of people? Because that's what we are called to do. When I was a youth pastor in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque, this is back in 1982, 83. When we moved out here, I stopped being the youth pastor. I started there in about 83, so I was for a couple of years. I had a job. I wasn't paid by the church. Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque had just started. And, um, but I was the youth pastor. I would work all day, come home, and have to prepare my studies to minister to the kids. Well, I found myself not being as diligent as I should. I'd go watch TV. Wasn't watching anything bad. On the other campus, when I said that, I wasn't watching anything bad, lightning struck. I said, okay, maybe I was, I don't know. <laughs> but I wasn't watching, we only had three channels, okay? We had three, well, four actually, with UHF channel, whatever that was. We had the three channels. You got up and click, 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 and you changed the channel. But I said to my wife, I just, I'm not being able, I'm distracted by the TV, can we get rid of it? My wife was always glad to get rid of the TV, by the way. And by the way, I, I do have a TV in my home now, all right? Talk about watching the Olympics, okay? I told this story one time and people said, Pastor Robert doesn't have a TV in his house. So we got rid of it. About two weeks later, somebody asked me, hey, did you see that on TV last night? You know what my response to them was? Oh, I don't have a TV. I'm a Christian. <laughs> what was funny is that it became a source of pride in my life when I got rid of it because it was a weakness. Somebody else might not have a trouble. They may be able to diligently do what they're supposed to do with a TV, but at that time in my life, I wasn't able to do it, so I got rid of the TV because it was a weakness. What might there be in your life today that is a weakness, that is keeping you from running swiftly, that is entangling you? It might be sin, it might not be sin, but what is there that you can trim down in your life 
in the middle of warfare, because that's what we're in. Again, soldiers, when they're not in war, might get entangled in different things, but when they're in warfare, they don't. We're in warfare. Now, it gives a second example. The first one is no one engaged in warfare. It's an army. It says that he may please him that enlisted the soldier. But then in verse five, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That is that we don't get to choose what we believe. We have God's word as a plumb line for what we believe. The Bible says that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we've got to learn to be a servant to all. That's just the truth. You might say, well, I don't like that. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. Well, it's fine. You can think that if you want to, but you're not competing by the rules. The rules are what God has said. The Bible says God will exalt the humble and bring down the proud. Well, you say, well, I don't like that. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> proud, 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 proud. I like it. Well, all right. Well, you can be proud, but understand that God will be against you. You must humble yourself. That's the rules. And we have to follow the rules. The first example is a soldier that doesn't get entangled in the things of the world. The second is that we must find out the truth of God's word. There's such power in if we can find the truth and live it. If we begin to do those things, well, then we run according to the rules. And finally, verse six is the third example. A hardworking farmer must be first to partake of his crops. A farmer doesn't do what he does for fame. I don't know. Is there any famous farmer? I said on the other side, is there any famous farmer? Somebody said, old McDonald. I don't know if that's really the famous <laughs> farmer that we're talking about. Farmers don't do what they do for fame. We'll put it that way, okay? But that farmer, when he gets up in the morning, eats the eggs off his farm. He drinks the milk from his cows and he eats the grain and food from, you know, his crops. He's the first one to partake of it. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, if you're going to preach the word of God, if you're going to teach these things, if you're going to find out what the rules are and you're going to live, then you've got to live by them. You must be the first to partake it. And in doing this, there is a spiritual connection in your life. You may be very good at sharing your faith, but if the spirit isn't moving through you, it doesn't mean anything. I could be very good at communicating to you. I could, I could give you a message that is entertaining. I could give you a message that's full of information. I could put it together in an organized way so that the thought processes can be followed to where you guys would leave and go, well, I learned something. It was good. It was funny. But the Spirit of God may not have been involved in it at all. We want the Spirit of God to make a connection through us. We often pray, the, the groups and myself will pray, Lord, let people not leave saying, you know, how good we were, but how great you are. May we get enough out of the way so that the Holy Spirit moves and it's God that is recognized in what we're doing. The music could be played in such a way. The notes could be hit, played well. It could be interesting. It could be entertaining. It could be different. It could be good. It could be something that we've never heard before. But if the power of the Spirit doesn't move through it, it doesn't mean anything. How do I get the power of the Spirit to move through what I do? I follow Him sincerely. I take first of what I have, bring it into my life. And if you minister, if God uses you to minister on any level, how do you ever expect someone to follow you if you don't partake first? The first definition of leadership is leading the way. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.